definitely have a young church here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That side over there is uh, in competition with this side. Praise the Lord. Well, great. Good to see everyone here today. And uh, my wife and I want to wish every one of you a blessed Christmas day next week. Don't wear yourselves out fighting the shopping center and all. We did some of that last week. We are down to the third generation. We don't buy gifts for our children no more. We don't even buy them for the grandchildren anymore. We're buying them for the great-grandchildren. And uh, so that was a job. Praise the Lord. Well, if you was here last week, you enrolled in the School of Christmas 101. So now you're going to complete, and hopefully you'll have the complete picture of what uh, the birth of Christ is all about. Last week in the School of Christmas, we covered three biblical signs of the birth of Christ. The first one was the virgin birth that really undercut the pride of man, that man had nothing to do with the birth of Christ. Man was undercut. So when we look at today and the traditions of man and the traditions of religion, has nothing to do with what man has created. It has everything to do with God's plan for you and I. The second thing was the unimportant town of Bethlehem. Everything was prophesied about the birth of Christ, not only that he was going to come, but where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, and everything else. And he was going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. A small town had no meaning until Christ was born there. And it is called the house of bread and the house of war, which really describes the character of Jesus. He is the bread of life, but yet he is our savior. He is our conqueror. He is the one who came and rescued us. The third thing we covered last week was the manger. The Son of God was put in a manger, the place where food for animals was placed, where animals would go and eat their food. And uh, what a place to be put. Well, he claimed he was the bread of life. He claimed that unless you eat his flesh and drink of his blood, you would have no part of him or you wouldn't have eternal life. So these signs and the ones we're going to cover today will give you a complete plan for his birth. This time of year, since I became a Christian, always blew my mind how there's so much going on in the world today, so much activity and people uh, uh, participating in so many things around this time for the birth of Christ and don't even know what it's about. I know I did it for the first 27 years of my life. We bought gifts for the kids and we had parties and we had all of that and didn't even realize what in the world we were doing. That's what frustrates me around this time of year. You go to the shopping center, they're buying gifts, they're doing all kind of things, and people really don't even know what it's about. It shows that God's plan undercut everything 
the natural man could ever dream up. If man had to think of how God was going to save them, this would have been light years away from anything that they could even come up with. So Jesus undercut the world. He undercut the lust of the flesh. He undercut the lust of the eyes. And, and most importantly, he undercut the pride of life. Man can't take any credit for his salvation, which Paul said is by faith you've been saved. It's not of yourselves. It's not by works, but it's by grace through faith that we're saved. So we have no part in it. Ministers don't have any part in saving anybody other than preaching the gospel where the power of God can touch somebody's life. So it undercut everything that actually leads man to hell, and that is his pride. We talked about that last week. The things that send people to hell is pride. It's pride that you don't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't accept Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world. And it's only pride that will keep you from doing that. So pride will ultimately send you to hell. It's the very same things in this world that Satan tempted Jesus with. And that was the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what Satan tempted Jesus with. Within, uh, as I mentioned last week, we want to see the birth of Christ from heaven's view. Remember, heaven was watching this thing. Heaven, we want to see Christ's birth from heaven's view, not from earth's view. The earth view of Christ being born has been distorted by religion, traditions of men, and all of those things. This is what I want to try to clear up today. So the celebration of Christmas didn't appear in history until 400 years after Christ ascended into heaven. Man came up with this. When the church entered 1,200 years of the Dark Ages, when the church quit preaching the gospel and held it from men, it went into the Dark Ages. That's when all kind of traditions of men got started. One of them was celebrating the birth of Christ. It's a tradition of man because the Bible doesn't command us to do that. The Bible doesn't command us to take one day and do it. It's your tradition of man. It's not commanded in the scriptures. Now, before I go any further, I'm not against. Don't put me in with the Jehovah's Witness and the cults that say you can't do it. I look at it this way. Even though the world doesn't know the meaning of Christian Christmas, at least they celebrating that he did come. They don't know why he came, but at least they're celebrating that there was somebody named Jesus that was born, okay? And last week, we knew that nowhere near December 25th, you can forget about that. It don't make any difference anyway. All right, so I'm not against it. What the problem I have is that people celebrating it without having experienced the truth of Christ himself. 
There are many people who call themselves Christians who are flocking into the church during this time of year, thinking that they are pleasing God simply because they showed up. Well, they also showed up on Easter, and they're showing up on Christmas thinking that that's all God requires of them. And they're celebrating the birth of Christ, rejoicing over something without the truth. They're celebrating something and not really knowing the truth of what they're celebrating. We know it's not Santa Claus, it's not Christmas trees, it's not gifts. I put up a tree. People preach against putting up trees. I put it up. If you see my house, I got a big cross on the top of it. Because <laughs> you're not going to talk about Christ without the cross. You're not going to celebrate Christ without the cross. So that's the way that is. So that's why we are here in this ministry, is that we want to reach people who don't know the reason for the season. They don't know it, okay? They don't know that you got to be born again before you can even recognize what's going on here. Otherwise, if you're not born again and have a new life in Christ, eternal life, it's useless and senseless for you to even be celebrating it. Whether we celebrate it or not, it really doesn't matter. It's a traditional religious thing that doesn't mean you're pleasing God because you do or you're not pleasing God because you don't. Doesn't matter. What matters is are you born again? That's all that matters. Are you born again? The reason for the season. Are you born again? Just as Paul told the Jews about their religious act of circumcision. Paul says this in Galatians 6, 15, he's telling the church, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. See, the Jews were putting uh, uh, the act of circumcision, cutting of the flesh, the way you entered into God's kingdom and being one of his children. Whether you're circumcised or not doesn't make you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is when you're born again, you've been, you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you're born again. That's how you enter in. You don't enter into church membership or anything of that nature. It's totally void of mankind. It's you and God. So the Jews thought just the act of cutting the flesh would make you part of God's people. It doesn't. Well, we can say the same thing today in Christianity about water baptism. People think, oh, I was baptized. Well, what does that mean? Doesn't mean anything. Hey, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. And my parents thought that's all I needed. Just a little sprinkling on there, and I was a child of God. How many know you're not a child of God? How many know that everybody in this world is not a child of God? You got children of God, children of the devil. Jesus said it. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Either one or the other. Okay? And it's not because you've been sprinkled with water. It's not even because you've been baptized. You can go in a, 
a, a, a dry sinner and you can come out a wet sinner. Doesn't really matter. If you're not saved before going in, you're not saved coming out. So the celebration of Christmas is just a traditional thing, okay? So get that out of your mind. You know, even Jesus warned the Jews, he says, you let go of the commands of God to hold on to traditions of men. Jesus said that. That's what they do today. We're holding on to traditions and not, and not obeying the commands of God. The commands of God is repent. <laughs> repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So how in the world can you celebrate, and I've done it, first 27 years of my life, in drunkenness and debauchery and revelry? That's what the world is doing, celebrating Christmas. In fact, when I was a hairdresser before I was saved, my, 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 my customers used to bring me whiskey for, for my present, huh, baby? I would set up the bar for Christmas because I'd have 10, 20 fifths of whiskey and wine. I was the bartender because I had the goods. Well, that all stopped. 1972, October. It all stopped. My family was looking for the bartender. I said he died. <laughs> so we were celebrating. The world was celebrating. Christmas in drunkenness, debauchery, and revelry instead of faith, forgiveness, freedom, and the power from sin. That's what they need to be celebrating. Now, it's the work of Satan to make a mockery of the birth of Christ. And that's what it is. That's what it is. The traditions of men has made the birth of Christ a mockery because it doesn't do them any good, what they're doing. Born-again Christians need to see Christ's birth as heaven sees it and how God meant it to be, all right? All right, we're going to get in the second uh, semester of the school of Christ, school of Christmas. The first sign we're going to cover is the sign spoken against, Okay. In Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angels had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been complete, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Remember, both Mary and Joseph were Jewish. The Messiah, the Christ, was promised through the Jewish people, and people were expecting him for hundreds of years. So in the Jewish tradition, your, your, your male child is to be brought to the temple to have him circumcised on the eighth day. And uh, so the text we see, Joseph and Mary doing that very same thing. They, they were Jewish. They knew what they had to do. And both Mary and Joseph got an earful of what this child was going to be. A man named Simeon, who was righteous and devout, was told by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit was even working in the Old Testament. He's God. He was there from the beginning. He was there in creation. The Holy Spirit was there and working. And the Holy Spirit told Simeon that he would not die until he seen the Lord's Christ. The Holy Spirit moved on him to go to the temple as the child was being brought in. And as soon as he saw the child, the Holy Spirit witnessed that he was the Christ. Imagine that. Man's been waiting. He sees the baby. The Holy Spirit said, that's him. That's him. See, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who Christ is. You don't know who Christ is. The world don't know who Christ is. Until the Holy Spirit brings revelation to us, the first thing he's going to bring to us is that we're a sinner, and without that Savior, we're going to hell. That's the first thing he's going to do. But once he reveals to us that we're sinners, then he brings us to the cross of Calvary and reveals that everything Christ was born to do is completed on the cross of Calvary. But to hold that same Holy Spirit, we will never know God without the Holy Spirit. That's what happened with Simeon. Simeon was righteous and devout. If we're righteous and devout, the Holy Spirit is going to show us everything we need to know about who Jesus is. Simeon took the baby in his arm and began to prophesy over him. This is what he said in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad about that? All you Gentiles, aren't you glad that he became a light to us? And then for the glory to your people Israel. Then he spoke directly to the child's mother. Remember, Joseph was not the father. Mary was the one who <laughs> Mary was the one who was connected to this child. It wasn't Joseph, okay? She was conceived of the Holy Ghost. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 34 says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. That meant that some would accept him, some wouldn't. Some who would accept him would rise, those who rejected him would fall. And he would be a sign that would be spoken against. His own people... The Jewish people who was waiting for the Messiah would speak against him and even the religious leaders who should have known better spoke against him because in their eyes, he was a disappointment to their expectations of what the Messiah was going to be. They wanted someone of great importance and worldly power. So Jesus undercut all of that. He undercut all of that. They were looking for a, a, a human that would have the power and the authority and the, and the charisma to win the world. They had no idea of what he was going to be. He undercut the pride of man and his wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 27, Paul says, For God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, Although they claim to be wise, they became fools. I want to tell you, the wisdom of this world that, that men have keeps them from accepting something so foolish as someone dying on the cross as the answer to their life. The people today, because of worldly wisdom, they reject Christ, and by rejecting Christ, they've made themselves to be fools. I want to tell you, I was a fool for the first 27 years of my life. But I tell you this, once you come to Jesus, you have more wisdom than all the PhDs and the professors and the psychologists and all of these people. When you come to Christ, you become wise. Because intellect will never get you into heaven. It's only by faith in the foolish thing of God sending his son to die on a cross seems foolish to mankind, but it's the wisdom of God. There was a generation before me, and I'm 77 years old. I'm talking about the generation before me where men thought that going to church and believing in God was just for women and children. The women and the children need to go to church. The men stay home, drink their beer, and do whatever they got to do. Well, we know what that got us in the 60s, didn't it? Remember what got us in the 60s? A generation of rebellion and moral degeneration. That's what that thinking got us. Jesus is still being spoken against today. And in the past few years, you know, uh, People quit saying Merry Christmas because they didn't want to mention the word Christ. 
They say happy holiday. In fact, I was in uh, Coles uh, last week with buying uh, a gift for one of the great grandchildren. And, and as I was checking out, the woman said, Merry Christmas. And I thanked her. I said, thank you for saying Merry Christmas. She says, that's how I was taught. I said, God bless you for saying that. But many of them say happy holidays. And when they do, I say, what holiday is it? Say it. It's Christmas. Say it. They X'd out Christ in Christmas. They put an X, miss. Well, it's a sign that's still being spoken against today. The second, the next sign is the sign of the two turtle doves. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, it says, When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. When people, the Jewish people, would bring their child in, to be consecrated and to be circumcised, they needed to bring a sacrifice. Usually, it would be a bull or a lamb or a, a, a sheep or something. That was expensive to bring an animal. Poor people brought the pigeons, two pigeons, two turtle doves or two pigeons. You might catch them outside, whatever. That's what they would bring in because they were poor. Mary and Joseph was poor people. They spent their whole life in that condition. No one wanted a poor Messiah because that's how Jesus was raised. He wasn't raised in a palace. He wasn't a rich man. He was a poor man. His parents were poor. They were poor people. Somehow, these Jewish people missed a lot of Old Testament scripture, where Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous in having salvation, gentle in riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. Kings don't ride on donkeys. Kings ride on the best horses and the best chariots that is available at that time. They didn't ride on no donkey. But riding on a donkey is exactly how the king of kings and lord of lords came into Jerusalem. Now, the next sign is the sign of the city of Nazareth. We see the same principle throughout his life. Although he was born in Bethlehem, which was a, a, a no city. I mean, David was born there. It had a name, but he was born in Bethlehem. But as he as was prophesied, he grew up in the city of Nazareth. He was known as Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Bethlehem. He was known as Jesus of Nazareth. At that time, Nazareth was barely a city. 
Probably only had a couple hundred people in there. And at that time, it had a bad reputation. It's like living on the wrong side of the tracks. It was a bad reputation. In fact, his first disciples had questions about that. In John chapter 1, verse 45, Peter found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nazareth asked, Come and see, said Philip. Nathanael said, Can anything good come from there? That's how people, they have doubts about when people get saved. When they hear of a notorious person changing their life, like Carl Catalanado, when they hear that he changed his life, something happened to him. They would call him up and say, Carl, what happened? You got religion? I said, no, I didn't get no religion. I had religion. I said, I found Jesus. My life's changed. It's hard to imagine that somebody could be so bad. See? And, and they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes. Yes. We're hoping a lot of good is going to come out of Metairie. <laughs> People say, what, Metairie? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good's going to come out of Metairie. See, he was spoken against on every aspect, the way he was from, who he was. Nothing about him fit man's expectation of a Savior or even God himself. His whole life undercut the pride of life. That's why we have to humble ourselves and come to God. We have nothing to offer him, nothing. His whole life undercut the pride of life until mankind humbles themselves and realizes that they need Christ, they will not be saved. So that brings us to the final sign. The final sign of Christmas is the sign of the cross. His death on the cross undercut every trace of man's pride of life. He hung there. Listen. You see crucifixes everywhere. It's so nice. His hair is just flowing down over here. His beard is nicely trimmed, and he's got a little piece of cloth wrapped around. Nothing of the sort. He hung there naked. He hung there beaten. He, he hung there bruised out for the whole world to see. He was cursed and spoken against even on the cross. They were cursing him while he was on the cross, while he was dying. He wasn't forced to go there. He willingly submitted himself to go there. This was God's plan for the birth of Christ. The cross is the gift of Christmas. It's not his birth. It is his death. That's the gift. If he would have just been born and refused to go here, we would have nothing. We would still be in our sin. See, it's the cross that is the gift of Christmas, not Christ's birth. Yes, thank God he came, but thank God he went all the way. Thank God he completed his father's plan. 
See, that's why multiplied millions will be celebrating next Saturday without any thought of the cross. They welcome his birth, but they don't welcome his death. What he did on the cross is God's gift <laughs> to mankind. That's the gift. His death is the gift. He died for you and I. In Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 8 and 9, it said, it is, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Salvation was purchased not in the manger. It was purchased on the cross of Calvary. Not by works so that no one can boast. As man's pride, you can't boast on anything. You can't boast on anything. Man can't take any pride in the act of the love of God of Christ being crucified. Christmas is about the gift of God, not just the birth. The gift is the total package, the total package, which includes his virgin birth, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, to the right hand of God, making intersection for us. That's the complete package. You got to take it all. You got to eat the whole enchilada. You got to get it all. You got to believe he came, but you got to believe he went all the way. Hallelujah. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, we get the total Christmas package, the total thing. So Christmas is not a day. Christmas is a gift, a gift of eternal life. Now, there's a Christmas song that I want to expound on. Then we're going to sing it. The first verse says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. The only real and lasting joy in the world is those people who have prepared and made room in their heart for him and have received eternal life. The joy the world is trying to get on Christmas Day with the booze and the revelry and everything, the joy will leave. Sunday morning, they're going to get up. Everything they thought they had Saturday will be gone Sunday morning. So, the song says, and heaven in nature sing. Heaven in nature sing. Why? Those who have prepared room for him in their hearts, heaven in nature sing. That's why Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. They've got joy. Joy is in heaven. Every time a sinner comes to Christ, Jesus said, all of heaven rejoices. You imagine that? Imagine that? Every time you lead somebody to Christ and they accept it, all of heaven rejoices. You, you have any idea what's going on up there right now? All the people in the world, everybody coming to Christ, they come to Christ every minute, every second of the day, all around the world. 
they are rejoicing. One day we're going to be there rejoicing. Verse 3 says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. See, when a person comes to Christ and he's born again, his sorrow, his sin and sorrow no longer is growing. You see, the thorns in life that keep coming into our life because of the result of sin, remember, sin has consequence. What we sow, we reap. So if you're living in sin, then all of the sin, the sorrow, and the grief, and pain comes with it. So when you come to Christ, it no longer is growing anymore. Listen, I wasn't the smartest guy in the world, but when I gave my life to Christ, I realized for the first 27 years of my life, the wreck that my life was in was my fault because of what I was sowing. I'm not sowing that no more. And for the past 50 years, I've been sowing the things of God, and I'm blessed beyond blessed. I'm, I'm blessed more than I deserve to be blessed because sin and sorrow wasn't growing anymore. The curse is gone. He makes his blessings flow. For as the curse is found. Listen, they had generational curses on my life that had to be broken. For generations past, had to be broken off my life so God's blessings can flow. He comes to remove the curse from my life. Generational curses from generational past. Far as the curse is found. Isn't that beautiful? As far back as the curse in our generation, it's gone. It's gone. Verse 4, that song says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes his nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And wonders of his love. I don't know about you, when I gave my life to Jesus, I sensed the love of God just being poured into my life. Never knew it existed. Next Saturday, when you celebrate and you remember the birth of Christ, you have to ask your question. Have you made room in your heart to receive the entire gift package of Jesus Christ? Have you made room to receive everything he is, everything he died for? Have you made room for that? Not only his birth, but the finished work on the cross. And if not, that can happen to you today. It could happen to you today. I want you to stand with me. We're going to sing this song. And when we're finished, when we're finished, I'm going to ask you if you're here today, and you have never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, this is your day. This could be your Christmas present. Hallelujah. Let's sing. The world, the Lord is come. 
Yeah. <laughs> 